From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest today is Sim Sitkin, who is the Michael W. Krzyzewski University Professor of Leadership at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. He's also founding faculty director of the Fuqua Coach K Center on Leadership and Ethics at the Fuqua School, and he's director of the Behavioral Science and Policy Center at Duke University, an extremely accomplished scholar, educator, consultant, and all-around good person. He's one of my very best friends and has been for 35 years since we first met as graduate students. He was at Stanford. I was at the University of Michigan. Uh, We met at the Houston airport on our way to launch a research project together on organizational culture in a petrochemical plant in Texas City, Texas. His research has focused on leadership and control systems. He, he develops connections, all kinds of creative and important connections between risk-taking and the cultivation of meaningful, trusting relationships at work and in all aspects of life. In today's episode, we talk about trust, leadership, and building our capacity to create positive change in the world. Sim articulates really clearly and in very practical terms, how being open to new information is essential in order to form trusting relationships with coworkers, friends, spouses, whomever. He makes a crucial, really useful distinction between mistrust and low trust. You really need to know and apply this difference. I think you'll see what I mean in just the next couple of minutes. Last thing I'll mention here at the top, is that in this episode, we have once again included a couple of stories of listeners who called into my SiriusXM Wharton radio show with questions for Sim about trust and leadership. And now, here is my conversation with the brilliant Sim Sitkin. It is such a pleasure to welcome you to Work in Life, Sim Sitkin. It's a pleasure to be here, Stu. It is really good to have you. Sim Sitkin is the uh, Mike Krzyzewski University Professor at Duke's Fuqua School of Business. And uh, you know, before we get into talking about trust, um, I, I know that everybody wants to know, so what's Coach K really like? So can you just start us out with that? Yeah, I think actually talking about Coach K is very relevant to, um, to the topic at hand and several of the topics at hand. Because he's, he's just a well-rounded human being. I mean, I think what happens many times with well-known figures, especially very successful figures, is they get kind of caricatured and treated as, as one-dimensional. And he's not only, you know, a wonderful exemplar in his professional field, but he's a wonderful colleague. He's He's a he's a he's a good friend. He he you know he does many things that people don't know about, and he doesn't care that they don't know about it. Could you tell us one? Oh, he does. He does. He visits. Um, 
kids in hospitals. He keeps up with people who are in touch with him. He um, Players who've played for him years and years ago are still essentially part of the family. He does things for – he started an institution in Durham, North Carolina, named after his mother, that helps kids um, from uh, – poor neighborhoods get into colleges he the list is is almost endless so he's he's really a wonderful exemplar and in his basketball program as well as in his life he's really integrated mm-hmm. his family into his work in basketball and has integrated his his players and the the um other members of his staff into his family so he's really mm-hmm. exemplified the notion of of trying to synthesize rather than um than pigeonhole. And, and create harmony, as we like to talk about here on this show. Last week, we talked, uh, I was speaking with Joan Williams uh, about her new book about the white working class and class cluelessness in America, and our theme was dignity. And what happens to people when they don't feel dignified, when, when they are shown lack of respect, uh, and how that can just uh, affect in, in so many negative ways you know, all the different parts of your life and, of course, your political attitudes. Uh, so we were focusing on um, the degradation of dignity in American culture and, and its impact on, on our national dialogue and our politics. And today I want to pick up, I want to start with uh, the, the theme of, of trust. Uh, there's, there's other topics I want to try to get to, uh, your work on leadership and our, our capacity to, to create positive change in our world, particularly with respect to stretch goals, but you've you've been um, studying and, and teaching about trust for decades now, and, and uh, I want to start with that. Um, and this is, of course, relevant for leaders at all levels and in all aspects of life. It's not just an executive leadership thing. Trust is something we all need to get things done through other people. Why, Sim, is trust lacking now more so than ever? Well, I, I, let me pick up on, on uh, the point you made about your discussion in your last show about um, dignity and a, a lack of respect, because I think it's very much related to issues that, that trust research can, can lend some insights mm-hmm. um, about. Um, in particular, I, I think that the, you know, the idea of if I don't convey respect to you, if, if I don't convey that I actually care about you, why in the world would you trust me? And so the, part of the problem today is the, the issues that divide people, the characteristics that divide people, are starting to become more of a chasm than I think they really need to be or deserve to be. Um, and that's reinforced in a number of ways. People are in their own kind of bubble. They read media. They, don't, uh, they live in neighborhoods where people all disagree with them. Um, they tend to see caricatures of people who might disagree with them or be slightly different. And one of the key factors that we've found in our work on, on leadership that, that fosters trust mm-hmm. is conveying to other parties that you truly understand them, mm-hmm. that you understand them as, as people, you understand them in terms of their professional roles. And if I don't understand you, how can I, in a, in a um, real way, respect you 
Because if so, my respect's not based on a, on a, on a good understanding. So it really starts um, with noticing, seeing, grasping the, the worldview, the perspective of, of the other, which is another topic that seems to be resounding mm-hmm. on our show week after week. Everyone's uh, talking about this because, the, the, as you say, the, the chasm is growing, growing greater. And so the need for us to, to close it, to somehow bridge these divides, is, uh, is ever more uh, pressing for us as a society. I, I agree, and I, I think there's another underlying factor mm-hmm. which is not talked about enough and is, 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 is critically important, and that's an, uh, an openness to new information, an openness to difference, and an interest in actually learning about people who see things differently, trying to see it through their eyes. Um, and it's very, very difficult to break these circular bubbles uh, that isolate us if we're not willing to, as you, as you said, to notice, to attend to, to other people that are different from us, other ideas that are different from our own, and to then do the hard work sometimes to really try to understand. It doesn't mean I have to agree. It doesn't mean I have not. to change who I am, but I can, um, I can appreciate the difference. And if we don't have those abilities to bridge, to understand, we don't even have the underpinnings to begin to forge those kinds of networks and, and, and connections. Let's dig a little deeper on this, because I think it's so important, and I know that you know a lot about this. So where there is distrust, what can one do to start to repair it uh, and to, to close those gaps that, that, that uh, appear between us in, in so many phases of our lives? Well, one of the things we found over over a number of years now is that, first of all, distrust is very different from low trust. And in fact, recent work on brain imaging has shown that low trust and distrust activate different parts of the brain. And so they are quite different. If if I distrust you, I have effectively sealed myself off from you. Hmm. Anything that you do that's positive, I kind of dismiss or ignore or distort perhaps right yeah anything you do that's negative i i sort of exaggerate and i really hone in on and so what happens is it becomes this self-sealing process and when people read the news um they do the same thing they'll notice the negative things about somebody or some group they don't like they'll ignore the positive things and they do the reverse for their own in-group so distrust is is not only an important factor that's fueling a lot of the problems we're talking about, but it is very difficult to disrupt unless you get at its roots. And the root of distrust is perceived value incongruence. Explain what that means in layman's terms. I don't believe you share my values. Hmm. I don't believe you see the world as I do. And what ends up happening is once I draw that conclusion, it, it shades everything you do. And so it's very hard to break out of it. And the way you begin to change that is, in fact, we share a lot of values. In fact, we share a lot of worldviews, even with people who are very different from us. Mm-hmm. But unless we can identify those things that constitute common ground, it's hard to even begin to start a dialogue, to begin to open our eyes to things that we might be ignoring. And so the way you start to unravel this knot of distrust mm-hmm. is one thread at a time. 
you try to make there you try to make that connection that we do share a value that I can be trusted, maybe not everywhere, but in one circumstance, and then in a second circumstance. You build out and, that common ground. And it starts with dialogue. It starts with common ground. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that research has also shown is when I distrust you, um, not only do I view you sort of uniformly negatively, but I avoid interacting with you. I avoid even listening to anything you would have to say. So nothing's going to change my no, view of you. That and it's yeah. just going to be reified. It'll just yeah. be. I'll, so I'll have no new information, no openness to to being able to change my view. Exactly, it's the opposite of openness. Mm-hmm. And as a result, if I'm not open to any of that, how can I possibly learn that I might have misinterpreted what you did in some way? Mm-hmm. Or that even if we disagree about a lot of things on certain things and in certain situations, we could, we could work together quite well. We could collaborate quite well. The issue, I think, is if we want to begin to overcome distrust, if we want to begin to build trust, what we first need to do is to loosen those binds of distrust. Think of it as a really tight knot. It, you can pull on the strings of a knot and it seems to just get tighter and tighter. Unless you begin to unravel pieces of it, mm-hmm. it's very hard to begin to, to, to unthread it and make it much more open and flexible. Mm-hmm. Well, so just, it, just the same as that, if you can't begin to unravel that tight knot of distrust, you cannot begin to build trust. Mm-hmm. And efforts to build trust are like throwing seeds on, on hard, dry ground. Unless you first killed the soil and therefore turned over the distrust and made it much more receptive to efforts to build those bridges. All right. So I, w- I want to ask you like what you do in that scenario. But first, uh, you, you began to speak about the distinction between distrust and low trust. So very quickly, what's, what's the difference there? What is, what is low trust and how is it different than distrust? So low trust is, is situational specific. So I might trust you with my finances, but not trust you to take care of my children. Or I might trust you as a friend, but not feel like I can rely on you as a, as a professional colleague. Mm-hmm. So in other words, trust is based on things like, do I believe you're competent? Mm-hmm. Do I believe you have my interest at, at heart? Um, do I believe that you, um, that you will treat me fairly? Um, those are the kinds of things that, um, that allow us to build trust. But if I fundamentally view you as having a different worldview, a different agenda, mm-hmm. different sets of values, then you being more competent doesn't make me trust you more. Right. Okay. So the, the, it's the values incongruence. It's, it's, we have fundamentally different views about what's important, what, what we believe in, what is true about the world, what's beautiful about the world or not. And if you've got if you've got conflict there, then well, how do you till that ground if it is so hard and rocky? What 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 do you do? What are some of the things that uh, that listeners can do? Because probably everyone listening right now uh, has some relationships that are characterized by distrust and and would like to change that. What what advice do you have? Well, there's there some of it is just quite intuitive. For example. When distrust is present, it tends to, as I mentioned before, seal off dialogue. I avoid you. When you speak, I don't listen to you. Um, I really kind of cherry pick what you've said and look for the negatives. 
So one of the things that, that you need to try to do is find opportunities for interaction which um, can build positive experiences. Mm-hmm. Find opportunities for dialogue where we might agree on something, mm-hmm. even if it's minor. Um, find opportunities to, to um, identify shared experiences. Maybe it's that we both have children of the same age. Maybe we like the same kind of food. Maybe we like the same sports team. Find something that is a bridge, because as soon as you begin to crack that hard armor of distrust, you can begin to start seeing opportunities for bridges to be built. Mm-hmm. And that's how you start to build trust. And it's, but it's only once that distrust shell is cracked that then efforts to build trust can, can commence. And there are a number of examples um, when the public distrusted both uh, financial sector organizations and government organizations when we had the, the you know, last financial crisis. If you looked at the actions of both government actors and many of the senior executives, what they were doing was following the advice on how you build trust pretty well. What they didn't do is acknowledge or, or act on how you ameliorate the problem with distrust before they took those actions to build trust. Hmm. And as a result, it really didn't work. So trust in the institutions kept growing. Because uh, distrust tends to breed itself, right? Unless you've it got does. that, unless you've got that uh, agreement or some shared perception that we've got something in common with respect to what we care about in life. Yes. So if I'm a, if I'm a financial sector executive and I say, don't worry, I understand the markets better than you do. I understand how to f- handle the finances better than you do. That would be great for helping to build trust. But if I believe that you don't see those markets as serving the same purposes as I do, mm-hmm. if I believe that you're doing it in a self-serving way rather than a, a societal-serving mm-hmm. um, way, then the actions that tell me you're more competent at manipulating the markets is not going to be reassuring to me. So the, the issue that – and when people are under the condition of distrust, they tend to get a little anxious. They tend to push a little too hard hmm. rather than stepping back and opening up and really trying to understand what's important to the other party so and, hard to and do. build the bridges based on that. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is what I have my students do in my total leadership course. Once they uh, examine what's important to them, the second piece, the dialogue piece is talk to the most important people in your life at work, at home, and in the community. And the primary goal there is simply to take the leadership leap, as I refer to it, and that is to see their worlds to see yourself through their heart and mind through their eyes in other words and and that is a very challenging thing to do but the really good news is that almost anybody can learn how to do that better if they do exactly what you say sim which is to step back but it's that pause that stepping back and realizing that you don't have sole province of the truth and that you really got to be you know inquiring and curious and genuinely interested in the other to take that in how do you, what have you found has been useful to help people to, to take that crucial moment of pause to notice? Yeah, I mean, my experience with my students is very similar to what you described, that when they reflect, first of all, people are often, when we talk about distrust is rooted in value and congruence or perceived value and congruence, a lot of people are really not aware of even what their own most critical values are. 
So if I'm not aware of like what my most important half dozen values are, mm-hmm. how am I possibly going to convey that effectively mm-hmm. to others mm-hmm. so they understand me? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, one of the things that we have our students do and in and, and, and working with various companies is to try to assess for the individual, for the team, for the organization, what are those core values? What are the most important things? And how do they relate to various constituencies' core values? Mm-hmm. And where you see mismatches is often where you see distrust emerge or, or at least conflict emerge. Yet people often ignore that there are a number of areas where we overlap and where we do fit together well. Mm-hmm. And by starting to emphasize, first recognizing, so first reflecting, then recognizing, and then conveying to others what those are is a, is a starting point. Yes. The other starting point. But you really do is, have to take that, that moment to start by looking inside absolutely. and asking with candor and courage, what is it that I care about? Yes, and it uh, does take courage. Because it is, it is very scary. You might find and, out that you care about something that other people are not going to like or going to disagree with or, or somehow right. incongruous with who you thought you were. It, it, yeah, so it ranges from how others will think about you to your own sense of your own identity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing, though, that you mentioned that I think is, is, is really critical is, yes, you need to pause and reflect. Um, the other thing you need to do is to rec and this is another tool that we use with people, is to recognize what we're not looking for is truth or what is correct. What we're looking for is how different people see the situation. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I might perceive your values as being one set of values. In fact, they may be a little different, and I'm just misperceiving them. In that case, I need to be willing to say, you know, I'm seeing your values this way, maybe because I'm seeing what you're acting on. You're seeing what you think. And by recognizing that it's not that one of us is correct and the other incorrect, but rather we're seeing different things, we can both learn from that. If we can articulate what we think our values are and we can say, how come you're saying it differently than I am? All of a sudden, you might say, why is it that you think that when I really Mm -hmm. have different values than you're seeing? Mm -hmm. And I can say, I never realized what your underlying values were because I was just interpreting your behavior. We can both learn from that kind of dialogue, but we have to be open to learning and we have to be open to having a dialogue that is sometimes uncomfortable for people. So, so what motivates people to want to do that hard work? I mean, that is, is the most difficult step for most, for most relationships is to come to the conclusion that it's worth investing you know, the, the difficult and uh, challenging uh, time and, and attention that's required to notice, to take into account that you're probably wrong or at least different in terms of how you see things. Uh, this, this requires, uh, you know, a real commitment that most of, most people are, they need to be persuaded to, to believe that it's important. So what have you learned about what it takes to get people to that point of you know, making that commitment, that investment to, to learn and to see the other, to care about the other? Well, I think the, I think the real question is how much are people driven by fear and conflict avoidance versus a desire to learn and grow. And I think many of our organizational systems are premised more on 
keeping people from doing bad things than giving them the opportunity to do good things. Mm -hmm. Um, Keeping them from shirking rather than giving them the opportunity to really learn and develop their skills. Mm -hmm. And so the more you can take, um, you know, what Dweck calls a growth mindset to how we design the environment as well as how we think about our own actions – If you're focusing on how can I learn more, how can I grow more, how can I connect with people better, how can I get the things I want to do done more effectively, then it inevitably leads to needing to do these things because all of those things require our interactions with other people. Uh, I mean, I like to describe, you know, we're talking more about trust here, but in terms of leadership, I, I like to describe leadership as a contact sport. It is not something one does all in isolation sitting up on a hill. It's something you do in interaction with other people. Leadership is a relationship. And if you want and whether that leadership occurs in our home lives or our work lives or our communities, um, we need to have that openness and, and the desire to make that connection, even if our primary focus is on task accomplishment. We don't do it in isolation. We do it with and through other people. Of course, uh, my my good friend and uh, another one of my mentors. I count you as one of them, Sim. But another, it's mutual. Uh, yeah. another who who uh, who you know, uh, but who unfortunately passed away some years ago. Joel DeLuca had a wonderful phrase to capture just that idea, and it was relationship before strategy. In other words, uh, you know, you've got to connect. You've got to have that that basic human contact and a. And some working agreement that we uh, have some value for each other before you can really get anything done together. I would offer a variation on that. I like Please. I like uh, Joel's phrasing there, but that that you can't have strategy without relationship. Hi, this is Stu Friedman. I hope you're enjoying this conversation, and I'm just so glad you're listening. If you like the Work and Life podcast, I would personally appreciate your taking just a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you access this podcast, whatever your favorite platform is. We are relatively new as a podcast, uh, and our team is working really hard to bring you for free the best of the conversations that took place on my Sirius XM radio show but were previously available only to paid subscribers. So every positive rating and review helps us to grow our capacity to move faster toward the goal of sharing useful information and insights about how to create harmony among the different parts of life with people who wouldn't otherwise have access. So please do help us. And if you have ideas for what we can do to improve our impact please write to me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and now, back to the show. We're talking about trust tonight with uh, one of the great uh, scholars and experts on that topic, Sim Sitkin, and we're opening the phones in our second half, as we always do. Fortunately... Sim Sitkin has agreed to stay on the line. Uh, Pat is calling from Montana. Pat, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Tell us, what is your question or story? Well, it was, it's kind of more of a story because uh, you brought up the uh, 
the whole idea about trust. And uh, in 1999, I started a, a company, and uh, that company was uh, with a bunch of uh, colleagues of mine that uh, we you know, started out on Endeavor and new technologies, and 9-11 happened, and you know, 9-11 wasn't the, the downfall of the company, but uh, it certainly uh, yeah, didn't hurt or help things uh, through the process. And, and by uh, 2002, we had to close the doors. And when you do that, close the doors, and you have to uh, do the bankruptcy, both personally and business-wise, you lose the trust of a, a, an incredible amount mm -hmm. of people so, that so is really difficult. So where where do things stand now, or do you, are you just reflecting on your experience now as as another uh, another tale of of lost trust uh, and and what can cause it? Is there are, are these relationships that you're you're wanting to somehow rebuild or reignite? No, you know I, I I've tried to make peace with uh, it with everyone uh, because I, I tried to minimize the uh, exposure uh, to mm -hmm. uh, as many vendors as possible, but. It certainly, uh, some of the vendors were personal uh, hmm. uh, friends and so forth. And, uh, you know, today, maybe 50-50 has been rebuilt and the other 50 is not. And uh, and, and, I, and your show really uh, kind of opened up my mind to hmm. that. That's why I called in. Well, I appreciate and, that, Pat. Uh, Let me ask Sim, uh, what are your thoughts about, about Pat's story, about the lessons that it might hold for others listening? Well, I think one of the things that can help is I mentioned earlier that we're often not very clear about our own priorities and values, and, um, and as a result, we don't convey them and articulate them. And so when, something, when external events like 9-11 or other kinds of events occur, and we can't follow through on what we felt we had kind of obligated ourselves to do or mm -hmm. others had expected of us, it's important to be able to tie those back to those underlying principles, even if what it means is, you know, I hate to say this, but I'm violating one of our core principles. If I had any other options, I would go otherwise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that, that uh, an earlier comment made me think of, and it relates to this example, too, because we all go through difficult times. We all go through periods where we can't necessarily fulfill all of the things we said we were going to do is when trust is, is based on perfection, it's a very fragile trust. Mm -hmm. Trust has to be based. It has to be more resilient than that. We're all flawed and, human beings. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to be able to follow through on all our commitments. Exactly. And as an organization, stuff happens in the economy and even though you are very principled about how you conduct your business practices, circumstances may arise where you can't follow through on that, mm -hmm. you know, and you're trying your best to do it, and you're trying to handle everybody fairly. So I think it, it is important to be able to articulate those principles, and then when problems arise, be as straightforward as you possibly can about – if I'm violating something, mm -hmm. I want to acknowledge I'm violating and I want to acknowledge why I have no choice but to violate it or what the very difficult mm -hmm. trade-offs are that led me to violate one principle in, in favor of another one that was, that was more critical. So, but we strive for perfection, and, we, and sometimes what we want is to have that 
absolutely pristine kind of trust in relationships. It's impossible. And the problem is, while that feels like an ideal, it's actually not. It's way too fragile in the real world. So by revealing your intentions, uh, you know, as, as hard as it might have been for you to do that, Pat, when so many things were crashing down on you, I gather, uh, it, you know, it, can, it can help to try to sustain you know, the sense that, oh, he cares about me and he's trying to take care of me. Pat, I hope I hope some of this makes sense to you. It's making sense to me, and I think to many of our listeners. So I really do appreciate your your calling and sharing your story with us. Well, Thanks so much, Pat. I, all I want you to, yeah, I wanted you to know that you know now it's 2017, and uh, at this point, you know I'm an entrepreneur, and I've gone on to other uh, projects, but I look at things uh, more strategically uh-huh. and more you know careful, and, and and I tell people you know straight up you know that things could happen and uh, that uh, that there are uh, so you've learned there is opportunities <laughs> yeah you know so now I'm a conservative and before I was like you know let's go out blazing guns and mm-hmm. I think that that's the, uh, the 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 part of me now uh, even my wife says why when did you ever become so conservative you used to be this you know visionary and and and, and so forth I so I still am mm-hmm. but now I do you know because I, I think about the things that happened in the mm-hmm. past and the people that I affected, both in, uh, you know, when you were talking about, you know, your personnel who work for you and they trust you, they look for your re- leadership, and then you also have your vendors, you also have your investors, you have your bankers, you know, it's, you know, it's daunting. And I wanted everybody to know that at the end of the day, you know, I I have lived through it, but there are days that I, you know, still think about going into, into court and, Mm -hmm. uh, and have to do what I had to do and the pain that no one could ever experience. You know, Pat, I I really appreciate your, your sharing your story. Thanks so much for calling work and life. And Sim, I think his example is, is a really good one to, to, to teach uh, our listeners how important it is to be learning from your experience, reflecting on it, especially the hard lessons, and being able to use those going forward in the next venture. I, I agree. I, uh, the, other, the other thing that, that Pat's comment raised for me is that just as trust shouldn't be based on, on perfection because it makes it too fragile – I think we shouldn't judge ourselves too harshly either. So, you know, if you take someone like Pat, who was and still is a visionary and an entrepreneur, then you don't want to let that that one negative experience turn you Mm -hmm. against being willing to take risks, being willing to build um, imperfect relationships. But what you want to do is take the lessons that, that you talked about and that he talked about and translate them in how you do it next. Mm -hmm. What risks do we have to make clear up front? Mm -hmm. What kinds of arrangements do we have to settle up front? And then in what areas are we willing to tolerate the uncertainty and the vulnerability that goes with trust? Yeah, and that's, that's the important work of leadership, no matter what level and no matter what domain of life. Thank you so much for calling. That was uh, really helpful. Dave, welcome to Work and Life. Hi. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Uh, first to comment, I, I think trust seems to me to be an outcome of having respect or confidence in, in someone. Um, and in a 
my situation, I work with fellow executives, and uh, the people that work with him, what comes out frequently is they don't respect him. And it just tears me apart to see that happen. And mm. I guess I would take your advice on how to uh, coach <laughs> someone to either see that or to maybe help them change their habits or ways of working with people so that that uh, respect and trust be built there. Sim, what, what's the first question you want to ask Dave? Why do you think they don't, they don't have that respect and have they communicated that lack of, of respect? Because I think you're right that in the absence of respect, it's very hard to foster trust. Um, a common theme I hear is they feel this individual does not respect or regard their time, mm. uh, their thoughts, uh, whether it's by inclusion or exclusion. Mm. Uh, that's probably the one biggest example I can think of. Well, I, I can tell you in terms of some of our research on how leaders engage in behaviors that generate trust in that leader. That I mentioned earlier in the show that, that one of the fundamentals that is really neglected quite a bit is this notion of, if I don't convey to you that I understand you, uh, it's going to be hard for you to trust me because I might be acting in good faith, but based on a misunderstanding of who you are, what your capabilities are, and so forth. The second thing related to respect is, if I respect you, but it's based on a false impression of who you are. You know, if I think you're just God's gift to the world, and I am not aware of or can't acknowledge some of your weaknesses, then you're not going to have much regard for my respect for you. And, and that's not going to engender trust either. And then finally, if I don't seem to care about your welfare and have a desire to treat you fairly, I'm not going to trust you. So I think if you can't respect somebody it shouldn't be a surprise that they don't trust you. If you can't understand them, it shouldn't be a surprise they don't trust you. If you don't care about them, it shouldn't be a surprise that they don't trust you. So, so what that can doesn't mean you need to have all of those things, but it mean, means you need to engage in a dialogue, mm -hmm. a respectful dialogue, where I strive to understand you better. I strive to really demonstrate my concern for you. And a lot of times... Leaders are uncomfortable doing that. It makes them feel a little weak, a little less authoritative, and they don't recognize that this is a sort of building block of the rest of their leadership authority. So what would you recommend to Dave in terms of trying to address this with his colleagues? I, I mean, I think the question is, can those individuals find a basis of respect? Um, and if the person who is not being respected um, deserves that respect but is not receiving it, maybe help that person um, work on conveying the information that would generate that respect. Mm. Showing concern for others is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Mm -hmm. Showing that you understand them is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of insight. Um, so I think... You could work with both sides of that equation to try to improve hmm. that relationship. What do you think, Dave? Understood. So it's a matter of uh, however small or however large, find a way to tell that person how that you appreciate their actions in a given situation 
and just slowly maybe they'll get the clue. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, one, one thing I would add, by the way, is that if you look at some of the recent insights about how teachers can work more effectively with, say, problem students, it, the phrase that I really like that's been used is catch them being good. Don't focus on when they're bad. Catch them being good and show an appreciation for them being good, and then they're going to want to be good that way again. Yep. Good advice. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Dave. Appreciate your Thanks, listening and, and calling to work in life. So, Sim, we've only got a couple minutes left. Um, what, what do you think is the most important thing to convey to, to, to listeners about what what anyone can do? And you don't have to be an executive. You don't have to be a supervisor. You could be a mom or a dad or a brother, sister, son, daughter, friend, neighbor. Uh, in this fractured, fractious uh, you know, world of bubbles that we are all in, separated from each other, distrust growing, causing all kinds of uh, suffering uh, in in our world. What in your decades of uh, research and and learning about uh, trust and and building trust and, and to enable people to achieve things that matter together? What are the things that are are most most critical to keep in mind? I, one thing that comes to mind actually comes from an experience that that I I became very impressed with from one of your family members, and and that's the idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, getting comfortable with reaching across boundaries to people you don't know who might see things differently. I mean, if you look at the United States right now, uh, political divisions. Um, uh, socioeconomic divisions and so forth, people are becoming more isolated from those who might see things differently. And think about little acts you can take, people you can meet, somebody who you actually may have a little respect for or like, but you know is quite different. Try to reach out to them and see if you can bridge that gap and use that as a launching pad to do more of that. In, whether it's in organizations where there are different factions or their families where there has been a conflict and maybe a rift, is one of the people in the party has to be the grown-up in the room if it's going to be repaired. You can be the one who can overcome that limitation and bridge that gap, that, that gap and that's the way to be, really begin to rebuild trust. So what was the example that you were just referring to? I was talking about your son. Which one? Who, who, who consciously went out and started conversations with people who he might have had nothing in common with mm -hmm. as a way of beginning to learn mm -hmm. to be able to talk to anybody, to be able to understand people who are very different from you, mm -hmm. and to not just talk about what the weather's like, but to really begin to understand their lives. And as a result of that, um, you know, really developed as a person, really developed as a leader, and really developed as an, a, a person who could bridge mm -hmm. between different groups and understand them in a way that was not possible before. That's very kind of you to, to, to remind me of that. I think he learned that living in Brazil, where that's very common, that kind of action, at least in, in the northern Amazonian part of Brazil, uh, where people do naturally reach out to connect. Sim, where can people find out more about the incredible work that you've done and are doing? Um, well, uh, you mentioned some of the things. Uh, my recent work on the use of stretch goals appears in a January Harvard Business Review 
article. Um, I have a, a, a book that's available um, that I co-authored with Alan Lind on our approach to leadership, and um, that's called The Six Domains of Leadership. And I'm also doing quite a bit of work on trying to make social science available for business leaders and government policymakers through an organization called the Behavioral Science and Policy Association. So uh, reaching out to any of those would be a way to find out about some of the things I've been doing. Sim, uh, one of my very best friends in the whole world, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Stu. It's been a real pleasure for me, too. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Professor Sim Sitkin of Duke's Fuqua School of Business. I'm curious to know what you learned that you can use in helping you to lead the life you want and to gain support for moving a little bit closer to creating the world you'd like to live in. So let me invite you to challenge you to take a small step toward increasing trust in your world based on whatever it is that you might have taken away from this conversation with Sim Sitkin. Why not try that? And if you do, write to me. I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you discover. You can tweet at me, at Stu Friedman, or you can just email me directly. The address is friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. All right, last thing, please take two seconds to rate and review the Work and Life podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. <music>